Yeah, good to see everybody uh, here uh, this morning. We um, are in our series, as it says on the screens up there, Stewards of Hope. We're going through the uh, first nine chapters of the book of Acts, but it also goes in line with what we call, typically been called the membership vows. We're calling them the discipleship vows of how we respond to God's goodness and God's grace as we steward the hope. As we talked about that first week, some of y'all might recall that we, we talked about uh, prayer and prayer boldly takes us where we went and go before. Remember that? And so we talked about praying boldly and, and stewarding that gift. And then uh, last week, we, we talked about how we uh, have this great, uh, great gift given to us in our very presence and that we are to be uh, radically unselfish with the gift of who we are. And for those of you that follow such things, did you notice that the sermon title from last week is the same as this week? Did, you, did you, some, of you, some of y'all know? Okay, it, it, I'm going to preach that same sermon again since you didn't get it uh, the first time. And so, let, no, it's, you notice there's a two after it because we're going to talk again what it means to be radically unselfish with, well, the gifts that we have, have been given. Uh, here now the word of the Lord is found in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. The great power of the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That's a key phrase. There is not one needy person among them, for as many who owned lands or, or houses sold them and brought the proceeds that was sold, they laid it at the apostles' feet, and is distributed to each as any had need. There's a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, remember last week we talked about uh, radical unselfishness, and we talked about how that this radical unselfishness was so powerful and noticed by the world around them that it changed the complexity uh, of the Roman Empire. I mean, the Romans, as you might recall me saying, took notice that these Christians live a different life that was radically unselfish. And, and you might remember that I, I shared from uh, Pliny the Younger about how he, they noticed what the Christians did who is speaking against Christianity. Well, today I'll quote another Roman who spoke out against Christianity. His name is Julian. He lived in the middle part of the fourth century and he came after Constantine who had made the Christianity the official religion of the empire and Julian followed after him and he wanted to undo all that. He wanted to go back to pagan religions. And so he started to implement rules and regulations that emphasize the old gods, the old Greco-Roman way of looking at things. But he knew that I can't persecute the Christians. They respond uh, to persecution. So he was gonna do things to try to limit the influence of Christianity uh, throughout the empire. But he grew frustrated. And there's a famous quote that he said, he said the Galileans, his word for Christians, they not only take care of their own poor, they take care of ours as well. They invite them to the feast of love and people respond like kids respond to cake. <laughs> 
the people came out, you see, because of the Christians' generosity. Earlier on in the, in the third century, a great plague hit at the city of Carthage, which was a place of great persecution of the Christians. And everyone was getting out of Carthage that could because people were dying. But Cyprian, the Christian leader there, gathered all the Christians together and said, we will not leave. Give of yourself, give of your possessions. It does not matter if they're Christians or people who persecuted you. Give. And the Christians stayed in Carthage, a place where they experienced great persecution and gave generously to all. This radical unselfishness as shown in their giving was noticed by the world around them and made a difference. People responded. The good news of Jesus Christ. In our scripture text for today, uh, it, your Bible might have had it at the top, uh, the believers shared their possessions. It, they shared in generously uh, with each other. They were grateful, you see, because that key phrase that I just said to you, great grace was there upon them. Great grace is there upon them. Grace is the Greek word charis. Charis. Can you all say that to show that you're awake? You, you get a guttural sense or watch people behind you might spit on you. But can you say that? Charis. Can you say charis? Yeah, yeah. Say that. Yeah, yeah. Great grace. This charis was upon them. It means giftedness. They were gifted, you see. They realized that everything they had, from whom all blessings flow, as we sing in the doxology, uh, they remembered the, the words from Psalm 139, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. We're, we are grateful to you, oh God. They realized that they were a gift. Life was a gift. Great grace was upon them all. We, in our Methodist tradition, believe that we live in a grace-infused world. That's the ultimate reality. Giftedness is all around us. Life itself is a gift. Life itself is a gift. I was reading an article not too long ago by a prominent pastor from Alabama, naturally. His name is John Ed Matheson. He was a longtime pastor at a large membership church in Montgomery. And in that, he said this. He said, would you take a million dollars for your eyes? Would you take a million dollars for your eyes? He said, and lose your sight for a million dollars, would any take that deal? How about for your brain? Now, some of y'all's brains might be worth more than others. I get that. But would you take a million dollars for, for your brains? You know, and if you, you know, took a million dollars for it, you couldn't think and reason anymore. How about your heart? Would you take a, a million dollars for your heart? And if you sold your heart, your blood could no longer pump. You can no longer sustain life. How about your lungs? Would you give a million dollars for, for your lungs and not be able to breathe? And then John Ed said this. He said, you know... If you have all these valuable pieces of your body, indeed, we are all millionaires. We're all millionaires. In fact, if you have your lungs, your eyes, your heart, you're a multi-millionaire. Think about that. And then he went on to share that recently three of his friends who were very successful there in the business world in, in Central and South Alabama died. They'd made lots of money, and they would have given every penny of it for some eyes, a lungs, a heart, or a brain. All of life is grace. It's a gift. And those early disciples were filled with grace, it says. Filled with this giftedness, knowing that God had 
created them and they were generous with who they were. That's what we talked about last week. And they were also generous with the possessions that God had blessed them with. No matter if they worked hard to earn those gifts or they received them as an inheritance, they realized that this is all grace, all gift. And they spent their time using those gifts far differently than so many others do. They responded, you see, to the second chance that God had given them in Jesus Christ. I know it's not Christmas time, but we love that, that book and that play, the movie A Christmas Carol, right? And we all know about Ebenezer Scrooge. And we know the story, right? That he thought and did and strove over and over again to earn more money. I mean, he, he, he couldn't get enough money. And then we know the story on Christmas Eve, the spirits came. And at the end of that approach of the spirits, he found himself in the grave, no one caring that he had died. And then he awoke, a second chance for life. And instead of spending all of his time trying to make money, he thought, he plotted, he schemed on how to give it all away. He became radically unselfish and generous with the blessings that he had given. And that's what those first believers saw. They had been given more than just a second chance. They had been given an eternal chance because of what Jesus Christ had done for them, had rescued them from slavery to sin and to death, given them the promise that not only have life abundant with meaning here on earth, but life eternal in heaven. And they could not give enough, give enough of themselves give enough of their resources so that through them others would be blessed and know the generosity of this God who gave his son Jesus. And they gave not because of any command, but with joy. The apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He's there taking up an offering, a gift for the impoverished people in the Jerusalem church. And he commends the Christians, these Macedonians who lived in a poor part of the region of, of Greece. They were people who were impoverished. And this is what Paul says about them. In their uh, severe affliction with joy they gave, in their extreme poverty, they overflowed in abundant generosity. And then Paul says this to the Corinthians, I don't give you a command to give. Give out of genuine love for the gift that God has given you in Jesus Christ. They gave, you see, in such a way that all the world noticed, even a pagan emperor noticed that they were extremely generous. And at the end of our text today, I was moved because my second favorite character in all the Bibles introduced to us, Barney. Not the purple dinosaur, Barnabas, Joseph. The text tells us he's from, from Cyprus. He uh, was a Levite and somehow became enamored with this Jesus. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, lived out this encouraging way of life by what he, what, what he gave. We see after Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, who is it that introduces 
Paul to the Jerusalem church and encourages them to accept this one-time persecutor of the church, Barnabas. When the uh, people in Judea needed an offering brought to them, who's the one that delivers the offering? Barnabas. Yeah, that's right. Y'all getting it. You're getting it now, right? Okay. And, and, and who is it uh, that introduces the Gentiles and opens up the door of the Gentiles when the Jerusalem church is struggling with these Gentile believers coming into the church? Who is it? Barnabas. Yeah, you got it. Barney. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Barnabas. And we see there at the end of this, it, mu it must have been a very large gift because it did say in there, you notice in the text, it, it talked about people are selling things and giving it, but then there was this Barnabas. And it must have been a large piece of a property. It must have been a big estate. He took it all, whatever it was. And in his extreme generosity, his radical unselfishness, he presented it all to the work of God in and through the church so that others would know the good news of Jesus Christ. What a radical act of encouragement. I don't know about you, but when people have been generous, generous to me or my family, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing and it's been a, a sign of encouragement. I know when I was going through college and yeah, the, the, the Air Force did help me, but you know, I still had to live and still had to eat, imagine that, and, and still have, find a place to uh, lay my head, and, and there was a lady in my church named Sybil Leberts, and she encouraged me to finish my degree by, well, being generous. She was someone, you see, that had a radical understanding of what it meant to use the blessings with which she had been given to bless the lives of others, and I hope you can thank Sybil Liberts for her generosity, because I'm here partly today because I was able to finish a degree, you know? We are encouraged when people are generous. The world is, notices when we are radically unselfish with the gifts with which God has given us from whom all blessings flow. And as we head into a season of generosity several months from now, we're, you're going to hear words that aren't going to be about guilting you to think about giving or even sharing need. We're going to share with you the radical joy of what it means to make an eternal difference in the lives of others and in this world. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus talks about investing in the lives of people that you're going to be in heaven with. He's saying, you know, don't just think about an investment here on earth. Think about what an investment in the kingdom is like. Now, I look out in this congregation. I see some mighty shrewd businessmen and, and, and businesswomen and investors that are thinking, you know, I'm investing for my retirement 30 or 40 years down the road. But think about investing in a billion years down the road. Imagine this, that in the great kingdom of heaven, someone comes up to you say a hundred thousand years from now, and taps you on the shoulder and says, you were a part of Boone United Methodist Church, weren't you? He said, yeah. I said, you know, I want to thank you because, I, you see, I was a student at Harden Park School, and because of the 
radical generosity that you started extending to us and showing us love there, I became curious about this reason y'all did that. And I came to know Jesus because of the love that you extended to us. Imagine that 100,000 years from now. And then say about a million years from now, uh, you know, someone tugs on your robe of there with your angel wings and, and, and he says, were you a member at Boone United Methodist? He says, oh yeah, I was. He said, you all the folks that had that trail behind the church? I said, yeah, we were. He said, yeah, you know, I was hiking there one day and I was really down. I was wondering what life was all about. I'd been through a tough patch, kind of like what we heard song about today. And I saw a sign that y'all put up there about beholding the grandeur of God and the beauty of his creation. And my heart began to sing because I looked out and saw the beautiful world and it gave me hope and lifted me from my discouragement and helped me seek after this one who made all this. And thank you all for being generous with that. And then, you know, a billion years from now, you're, you're there plucking on your harp, whatever you're doing there in heaven, and some, someone comes, taps you on the shoulder, and says, well, you remember at Boone United Methodist Church? I said, yeah. Well, thank you for your providing for the feeding ministry that you all were doing there. I, I didn't know what, I was going to get my next meal. Me and my daughter came in, and there was a food set there, and people were friendly, and I think you came up and greeted me, and I got some hope. I got some hope because of what happened there. And I began to ask questions about why y'all did this. And someone said, because we love Jesus and we love you. And I came to know this Jesus because y'all were generous. Radical unselfishness is noticed by the world. And it makes an eternal difference because we are following after the example the one who we'll remember in just a moment who broke his body, spilled his love in a radical, unselfish act for you, for me, for the world. May we be radically unselfish in all the gifts that we have been given, ourselves, our lives, our possessions, our money, for the sake of Jesus, who gave his all radically for you and for me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.